when I was a senior in high school, I found out that the churches I'd been a part of had been fighting for the last 20 years. I didn't know about this fight until I was a senior in high school. And I found out from a book club that I was in with my pastor, he selected a book that was kind of curious to me. I'd grown up hearing that the Bible was true and believing that the Bible was true and come to find out the churches I'd been a part of, and specifically the church I was a part of at the time, there was a big fight about what does it mean? Is the Bible actually true? Can we really trust it? I ended up finding out later that there were leaders in the church really battling with the pastor. And so I discovered through this book club, he'd chosen a book, I believe it was called Biblical Authority, but it was really a book on is the Bible true? But there was a sentence at the end of the book that stuck with me. This was just confirming things that I already believed, that God breathed, God spoke the word into existence, and what kind of church would you have if you have a Bible filled with errors? But there was a line at the very end of the book that said, now that this issue is settled, the real question for us is, is the Bible sufficient? He finished the book saying, okay, we can, we've been fighting for 20 years, and really in that season, the family of churches I'd been a part of kind of settled, this is the issue. If, you don't, if you're not going to hold to this, you probably should have a different church, a different church family. But the guy said, now the question for us is, is the Bible sufficient? That's stuck with me for close to 20 years now. That, that line, what does it mean? Is the Bible enough? Is it sufficient? And what we've been doing this month is unpacking what does it mean for the Bible to be sufficient, and if it's sufficient, what do we do with it? Because what's interesting is most, most churches, most good, solid churches and denominations say that the Bible is our final authority for salvation, for trusting God, and for obeying God, something along those lines. But oftentimes, that's just something that we believe and we put on a shelf and we don't really deal with. What does that mean? If the Bible really is what God says it is, this month, we've been unpacking. We've been drawing out from 2 Timothy chapter 3. We've been drawing out from Psalm 119. Today, we're going to be looking at Psalm 1. Unpack. If this is what the Bible is, what do we do with it? That's why the series has been called Unleash. The title for the series has had a lion because G.K. Chesterton, or Spurgeon, I always fix the two guys up on this quote, said, if the Bible is like a lion, you don't defend it, you let it loose. It can defend itself. And so what we've been drawing out is if the Bible is sufficient, what do we do? And so we've been spending a month saying, let's let it loose in our families, in our community. Let's let it loose in our church. We've been answering that question. So turn with me to Psalm chapter 1. What we saw in 2 Timothy 3 is that the Bible is sufficient. It is enough to make us complete to be transformed into the image of God. God has not withheld anything from us. We find that in 2 Timothy 3. We've looked in two places in Psalm 119 that says that the Bible makes us, can make us blameless. It can lead us in the blameless way. God's not withheld His directions from us. We've all, we also saw in there that from Psalm 119 that the Bible gives us freedom. It helps us walk in wide places, making the path wider, not narrower. And so today we're going to look at Psalm Chapter 1. Because this is an age that is marked by fear. Maybe every age is marked that way, but no matter where I look and no matter who I talk to and no matter the story that I hear, there's, there's this undercurrent in this age of fear. Maybe for you it's fear of some plan not working out. Maybe for you it's 
Fear that like retirement doesn't look like you'd hoped that it would look. Maybe for you, fear looks like danger, public danger from violence. I hear that often. Maybe fear for you is fear for your marriage. Maybe, maybe for you, fear is, in a, quite honestly, in our political realm, both parties run on fear right now. Both telling us there's so much out there to be afraid of. And so when we, this is an age that says, look at all these things to be afraid of. So all of us come here today saying, how are we going to survive and thrive when there's so many threats? And Psalm 1 answers that question. We come here with this, whether we know and can voice the question or not, asking, how am I going to survive? How am I going to thrive? How am I going to reach my dreams, reach the destiny that God's called me to when there's so many threats? And Psalm 1 is what we're going to see today. Psalm chapter 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. The way of the wicked leads to destruction. Let's pray. God, I pray that as we open up your word, declaring that it's sufficient, that we will actually submit to it and listen to it and sit under it. In Jesus' name, amen. What I want to show you here in Psalm chapter 1 is that we are called to thrive by delighting in God's Word. We are called to survive, no matter the threats that are out there, by delighting in God's Word. I want to show you here three ways that we thrive by delighting in the law of God. The first way is we find security and success here. Psalm uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Start with, blessed is the one. Often, maybe your translation says happy is the one. A lot of people are trying to get it. What is the heart of this? What is this? Blessed is the one. Blessed is this term for for peace. It's this declaration of God over a person. It's not a declaration of the world to us. It's not, hey, successful. Look, this guy has it all together. It's God looking down. It's this word that I think the heart of it is this thriving, which is a declaration of God over a person. But notice that he says blessed is the one. And the description starts out negative, but really the distinguishing factor is is in verse 2. It says, blessed is the one, not only does he not walk in step of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, he's not going in that way. Verse 2 is what gets to this distinguishing factor. Whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. The way Hebrew poetry often worked is they would like make a line And then they would say another line that just restates it in another way to kind of intensify it. So, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. What's that look like? What's it mean to delight in the law of the Lord? It's to meditate. I mentioned this last week. It's this, this word for groaning, for muttering, for mumbling day after day. Day and night is what it means to delight in the law of the Lord. And so here he says, the point is blessed, thrive, like What are we getting at here? It's this idea that the person that delights and meditates in the law of God, he's the one that's blessed and can thrive. And so what would you do with that? Like blessed? Like what am I I supposed to do with that? 
it's kind of a Christian or like church way of talking. We don't usually say, oh, bless. The heart of it is like security and success are found here in this one distinguishing factor. Delighting in the law of the Lord. Not blessed is the person who's gotten all of these things right. Not blessed is the person that knows all of the plans. Not blessed is the person because they're rich. Not the blessed is the person because they're famous. Not blessed because people like them. Not because it's blessed is the person who delights in the law of the Lord. Then he compares that person in verse 3. That person, that man, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. This comparison is really the heart of this psalm. Blessed is the person who delights in the law of the Lord because he's like a tree planted by streams of water. This is, this is a psalm for people that live in the desert and they know trees that don't have water don't have life. And so he's saying that the person who delights in the law of the Lord is planted firmly, not just temporarily there. Their foundation and everything that they need is found right there. And so the description is the law of the Lord is like streams of water that bring life to you. And so we look at the world and go, man, there's so many threats I'm supposed to be afraid of. Here he's like, no, you want security? You want success? You want life? It comes from the law of the Lord. Plant your life there. Day after day, it will be like streams of water passing by you. But the description goes on. So that person is like a tree. Delighting is like being planted. The law of God is like streams of water. But then he describes it in three ways, which yields its fruit in its season. It's a fruitful tree. The person that delights in the law of the Lord can count on fruit in its season coming to their life. So if you're like me, you want success. You want there to be fruit in your life. You want your life to matter. You want it to, to mean something. Right here, he says, plant your life right here by the streams of God, letting it wash past you day after day. You can count on fruit, not because you figured out all of these other things, but because you've planted your life by the one place that has life for you. But not only does he say, is he, are you going to be fruitful? Are you going to be productive? He says, whose leaf does not wither. This is a tree that lasts. This is a tree that keeps on going. This is a tree that the, the seasons don't come and it, it, it fades off and it dies. In the yard next to us, there's a, there are a bunch of fruit trees. My dream is for my yard to look like his yard. But one of the trees, the year before we moved there, stopped producing peaches. What a disappointing tree. A peach tree that, if it, I, I wish that tree would have just lasted just a little bit longer so we could have eaten some of the peaches from this 25-year-old peach tree. But here he says, the person that delights in the law of the Lord is going to be a tree that leaf doesn't wither. It's not going to die. It's not going to be cut down. And so if you, like me, want to last, you want your life to mean something, plant your life by the law of the Lord, letting it wash past you day after day. And not only does its leaf not wither, he says, whatever they do prospers. Whatever they do prospers. This is a successful tree. And so the successful person delights in the law of the Lord. Meditating on it day and night. I'm reading a book right now on water in Israel and the technologies that they've developed there. And 
there's an, uh, they've done a, a lot of really interesting things, but when the current state of Israel was being founded, they realized we really want the desert called the Negev, but nobody really lives there. A bunch of countries wanted it. And so when they were trying to figure out how do we stake a claim so that it gets given to us when the state of Israel is founded, because they were really counting on that, they realized we need to have some farms. The problem is nobody lived there and nobody farmed there because it was a desert. They had to try and temporarily do something to stake a claim, and so they founded 11 farms there at the time, but they had to run lots of pipes to get water there. And one of the guys who was helping run those pipes looked one day where they were running pipes, and they were, he saw a tr- like a fence line, and there were trees planted along that fence line. They were just kind of scrubby trees, except one was huge. All of them looked identical. All of them looked like they had been plant, the, planted at the same time. But one of the trees was enormous. And so he kind of had a little bit of time while they were finishing laying some pipes. So he walked over and he looked. And he looked at, down at the base of the tree. And he realized that an old pipe that was running through that area had a tiny little hole. And had been leaking water. Drip, drip drip at the base of this tree for years and years. And so the difference between all of these trees was one of them had been drip irrigated, getting just enough water and more than its brothers and sisters up and down the tree line. He ended up inventing a way of drip irrigation that's now meant that that area and the desert there in Israel has become this uh, uh, an exporter of produce and of trees because he noticed like a tree that's got this perfect amount of dripping Not just a rain temporarily or periodically, but a a constant flow and drip grows better and bigger and longer than any of the other trees. And here's the point. That's what the Bible is. It is this constant drip washing past us day after day. And so that's why we encourage you and your families to read the Bible, read story Bibles, act out story Bibles with your kids, because we want them to have a steady, constant drip, drip, drip of God's Word planted in their life. That's why we join together on Sundays singing songs of the Word, why we listen to sermons from the Word, because we need that constant drip, drip, drip. If we are going to be productive, lasting, successful trees. And so the question is, what do you delight in? What what is it that makes your heart sing? What is the thing that you meditate on day and night? Is it plans? Is it dreams? Is it what's coming next? Is it what's been done to you? Or is it the law of God? What's going to be the thing that's going to make your life successful, productive, lasting? Is it going to be effort? Is it going to be plans? Is it going to be people? Is it going to be money? Or is it going to be the constant, steady drip, drip, drip of God's word? Second way that we thrive by delighting in God's law is we avoid the doom of the wicked. We avoid the doom of the wicked. Verses 4 and 5 says, not so the wicked. Blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. This is a contrast. The person who delights in the law of God is like a tree. This person is like the the chaff. Unless you're a wheat farmer, I'm not a wheat farmer, it's kind of hard to understand what exactly is chaff. Well, when they would grow wheat, they would then harvest it with these long stalks, and then they would go up on top of a hill where it was really, really windy. And they would take it, and they would beat it, and then they would throw it up in the air, and the wind would carry off the unuseful stuff. 
So that all they're left with is the heads of grain. That's all they want. And so they would throw it up in the air on top of a hill, knowing that the wind's going to blow that light stuff away that I don't need. So God, through the psalmist, is saying that the wicked are like the chaff, that unneeded part of the wheat that's going to be blown away by the wind. Those who delight in the law of the Lord are going to be like trees who are going to last, but the wicked are going to be blown away by a wind. Then he says, there's, not only are they like chaff, but there's no future for them. The wicked will not stand in, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. There is no future for the wicked. This contrast between those that delight in the law of the Lord and the wicked. Those who delight in the law of the Lord have a future and have a hope are going to be found, are going to be established. But the wicked are going to be blown away. And so the appropriate response to us is to have a godly fear of the doom that the wicked will one day face. Quite honestly, a godly fear of the doom that I will face. Because there's so many times that I don't delight in the law of the Lord. So the, but the call is avoid the doom of the wicked by delighting in the law of God. There are some fears that are unfounded. Just be fear, afraid of everything. But some fears are founded. When I was a, in high school, we lived in South Georgia. And there was a swamp nearby called the Okefenokee Swamp. And they had, a, they had a, just kind of an exhibit place where you could go and you could look at some of the alligators. You could rent a boat and go off into the swamp and look for birds and alligators and other kinds of things. And you could see all of these museum exhibits. And my cousin was down and he'd never seen an alligator. So we go to the Okefenokee Swamp and we go inside and we look at this like 18 foot long uh, preserved alligator because this is the largest alligator they've ever had there. It's like, man, I'm really glad I don't have to face that. And then we go outside because it was time to go home and we realized there was a 12 foot alligator by the wheel of our car. And we went, I think we're going to wait a little bit longer. I think we're going to stick around a little bit longer, see a few more exhibits until that alligator leaves. Because that's... The point is, that's a, that's a godly fear. That's an appropriate kind of fear. This is a 12-foot alligator. I'm not going to mess with him. He can be by my car, and we can, we'll leave later. The point here is, look, the, the wicked, chat, the wind drives away. I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want the, a, a, a slight breeze. I don't want the wind to, to drive my life away. But So we're called to avoid that doom, but also not fear the wicked. It can be so easy to walk through life and fear the wicked. Oh, look, they're the ones in power. Look, it's the people that, that hate God and that hate us. That They're going to be the ones that put me down. And they're going to be the ones that ruin my life. But the truth is, the wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. They're not going to last. They're not going to last if they're in power in your workplace. If they're in power in a, in a government. They're like chaff that the wind's going to drive away unable to stand in the judgment. The third way that we thrive by delighting in the law of God is we rest in the promise of God. Verse 6, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Your translation may say, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is God knowing the way of the righteous for blessing. God looks at the righteous planning on and intending and working to bless. 
But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Here, this is drawing us to the fact that God is the source of blessing. It's no other place. The Bible is not some book to manipulate so that we can get God to do him what we to, for him to do what we want him to do. Instead, God's word is this constant source of blessing as it drip, drip, drips the life that we need because God himself wrote it. It is his word and it comes from him. He is the source of blessing. And so we can look at this, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. And may, right now it may not feel like it. I know many of you carry burdens. I can't imagine what it's like to bear. Caring for parents, caring for children, children wandering away from the Lord. Some of you have job situations that you hate and you say, God, how long is it going to be this way? Some of you are like, God, you've called me to this. Now you seem to have let me down. Or God, you've called me to something and I don't know what's on the other side of this next step. This is the promise of God that he knows to bless the way of the righteous. The Lord watches over intimately caring exactly what happens to you day after day. This is the promise of God. It's not a timeline Maybe like me, you go, I, God, when is this going to happen? You say that you know the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked leads to destruction, but it doesn't feel like that. So the call here is to delight in the law of God by resting in his promises. Resting. He says that he knows it, and he says that the wicked will one day be destroyed. So I can trust him for that. It reminds me of, the, the call here reminds me of children who really don't know when their birthday is. They don't really know when Christmas is. They don't know when that special trip is coming up. And so they're constantly like, is it my birthday yet? No, that's 11 months away, sweetheart. No, 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 that, that special trip that we're going on is still four or five months away. That, 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 I'm taking you to the store in a few hours, not right now. Some of us are called to be like little children saying, God, I don't understand the timeline, but I understand the promise. You said, watch the righteous. And so I'm going to trust that. That's what Abraham and Sarah had to trust. That God promised years in advance. And one day they saw it pay off. And so the call to us is, will we delight in God's promises? Will we say, okay, God, I'm going to rest in your promise because you said it. And I'm going to meditate day and night on those promises. Even though I don't see it pay off right now. But maybe like me, you go, what if I don't delight in God's word and God's promises? Maybe sometimes I delight in God's word, but so often I'm counting on my own plans to help me survive and thrive. What if I look at my life and go, I'm a lot more like the wicked that are doomed than like the righteous whose lives are productive and lasting and successful? Where is the good news in Psalm 1 for me who's more like the wicked than the righteous? You see, there's only one person that can actually sing Psalm chapter 1 and mean it. There's only one person who's ever been able to say, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. Jesus is the only person who could ever actually sing this song and mean it. The rest of us can just sing it and long for it. The good news 
is that Jesus, who can actually sing it and mean it, bore the curse of the wicked from the passage. He is the one that was blown away like the chaff. He is the one that was struck down in the judgment. He is the one who could not stand in the assembly of sinners because they killed him. Jesus is the one that fulfills this passage for us, taking the curse for us so that we can bear the blessing of him keeping it on our behalf. You go, how can I know that for sure? Maybe I'm new. Maybe I've heard this many times, but how can I know for sure that, that Jesus bears the curse of this for me and gives me the promise of this? The story of the Bible is that God made the world and he made it good and he specifically spoke to Adam and Eve and said, you can eat from any tree except this one. And Adam and Eve and every person after them says, God, you will not be king over us. We will turn our own way, do our own thing. We are rejecting you as king and we will live in our own kingdoms. The Bible says that God will one day rid the world of all of the little kings that have set themselves up against him. But instead of leaving us there, the Bible says that Jesus came and lived the life that we should live, dying the death that we should die, so that all who repent of sin and trust in Christ can be made new, welcomed back into the family with all of the promises of Psalm chapter 1, of productive, lasting, successful lives, because Jesus bore the curse for us and gives us that blessing. So now there are no threats that can threaten to undo us when we have God's word, when we delight in God's word, nothing can crush us. And so in a world that says, be afraid of this and be afraid of that, run away from this, everything is a threat. Psalm chapter one says, no, you can thrive by delighting in the law of the Lord. God's word is the source of blessing that you want. Imagine what that looks like in your family. Instead of looking for your spouse to fulfill all of your needs, imagine what it would look like if you went to God's word, delighting in it for that drip, drip, drip that you need day after day. Imagine what it would be like in your family if instead of needing your kids to validate who you are and what you're like, you, God's word was the thing that validated who you are and what you are like. Imagine what it would look like for a community to have a church that says, we have constantly had God's word drip, drip, dripped into our lives, giving us life and giving us fruit, giving us lasting legacies, giving us the success that we want. Imagine what it would be like for a remnant around the world to delight in God's word, planting their lives right here, day after day after day. God's word would be fulfilled with trees established whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you promise that you know our way to bless it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.